0: on Free FM 89.0. I'm Holly Snape and I am from Community Wakato and have with me on the phone all the way from Wellington, Roz Rice from Community Networks Aotearoa. Welcome, Roz. Oh, kia ora. Well, uh, hello, Holly. How are you? I am doing very, very well and really appreciate you having a chat with us today. I thought this is a great opportunity, beginning of the year, to talk a little <laughs> bit about what Community Networks um, Aotearoa do um, and then we sort of wanted to touch on some of the projects projects that's going on at the moment, Well, it's really relevant for really any um, small NGO throughout New Zealand because the work you do can have an impact on on all of us. So could we start maybe with a bit of an overview about what Community Networks Aotearoa does?
1: Okay, well it's all in the name really, Holly. Um, Our membership networks throughout the country, usually many of them based in regions like Community Waikato. But um, also, we have national networks. For example, uh, we've just had been joined by the Salvation Army. We've got Neighbourhood Support New Zealand, Volunteering New Zealand, those sort of national networks. They're sitting here as national organisations in Wellington, but also networks throughout the country. So how we describe it is, if Patty and I, who work here, are mum and dad, then the networks are our kids, and their networks, because in the very nature of their name, they also network, their networks are our grandkids. And the grandkids aren't actually members, but we care about them a lot. And um, we uh, reach out through to the myriad of specially small not-for-profits based in communities right throughout the Motu via our networks. And they come back to us with information via their networks. Mm. So we're kind of the network of the networks. That yes. sort of how we work it. It's, it's difficult to put it in an elevator conversation of less than 30 seconds. <laughs> it is a bit of a
0: challenge, isn't mm. it? But you do quite a wide range of work, uh, mm. including advocacy for the sector, um, yeah. including data gathering. Can you give us a bit of a, an overview of the types of activities you're involved with, and then we'll talk about some specific projects.
1: Okay, so if you're a tiny little not-for-profit working in Bluff and Southland, for example, How do you get your voice through to, say, politicians about things? And vice versa, how do you find out what's actually going on out there? And a really good example is the changes to the Incorporated Societies Act. And how would you, if you're just a tiny little network in Bluff? how would you find out that there are changes that have been put into law about being an incorporated society and that you have to change probably your constitution and you have to re-go to the commerce the company's office and re-register as an incorporated society how do you find that out and so it's about information flowing out and information coming back which means that here as a head office We hear all kinds of things Mm. that are really annoying NGOs and we can represent those things. So another good example is that, yes, um, in the last few years, there's been a lot of legislation which has really increased compliance requirements for small NGOs, like over and above common sense, in my opinion. Government's really getting down and dirty and involved with the community and voluntary sector, So we were talking just the other day to um, the Amateur Sports Association. And the Amateur Sports Association is every little sports club or big sports club through the country that is not professional, and that's thousands of them. Mm. And they are way down as well as our sector by the huge increase in compliance that's come through changes to legislation in the last few years. So what did we do? Uh, two organisations got together and issued a joint press release asking the new current government to review some of that legislation with a view to lifting the requirements that are really overreach by government departments. Um, mm-hmm. And We not only did the press release, but we also sent that to every MP and we've had quite a lot of response back and there are people who are recognising that this huge increase in compliance regula- regulations is affecting people's choices about whether or not they get involved with their local community groups.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting because I've heard that term overreach used a number of times. There's been an ongoing um, pushback from a lot of people who are very knowledgeable in the sector saying very similar things. Mm-hmm. But I think that the power for Community Networks RTR is understanding the experience of those very small NGOs, right. um, non-profit organisations from around the country. Yeah, so very helpful. And um, I am just thinking it sort of reminded me of another one of the... Um, the projects you've got going on is around the banking project, which really came out as well of that voice from um, localised communities around the country.
1: Oh, I mean, people were crying for help and still are, to be honest. Um, Just trying, for example, really simple thing, opening a bank account or just changing your signatories after an AGM and you've got a couple of new board members, it's a nightmare The reason that the banks have become so difficult to deal with is 50% legislation. I'll say that for a fact, because we did the research to Mm. find out why was this happening to little NGOs all up and down the country, just so difficult to change signatories that many of them were going months without getting access to their bank accounts. Why? And yes, 50% is new. Well, it's not that new anymore, but is the anti-money laundering legislation, which was brought into the country, pretty much forced upon us by uh, the USA following 9-11. And this legislation makes requirements of the banks really quite heavy-handed on small NGOs. You can understand them checking Money laundering through some of the large corporate organisations, mm. but if it's a small knitting group in in I don't know, Kotai, the chance of them actually being able to money launder is a lot lower. And it's like almost using you know a chainsaw to crack a um, a walnut, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a. It's we did a, good a lot of research, and and we've um, I'll say that. Um, We had a huge launch of the research that we'd done that proved some of the stuff that I'm saying, most of it actually. And following that, we have been um, talking to three main groups. So uh, have you got time for me to tell you? Oh,
0: absolutely, yes.
1: So one group is we're talking to the Ministry of Justice, who've been doing a review of that legislation, and we're involved with them in discussing possible amendments that could be made to the Act that will make it, give the banks the ability to use more discretion about how what they ask people to do. Secondly, we are talking to a major, a big, one of our big banks here in New Zealand, who has recognised that they really don't, ha- they don't help the situation because there's nowhere you can go and get information. For example, if you want to change your signatories, you, most banks, you go onto their website, there's nothing there about what you have to do. And we're saying, well, how do people who have to stand in a queue for an hour then get to a teller and it's the first time they've been told what they need to do, and then the teller gets grumpy because they don't understand? Yes. <laughs> how do they expect anything different if they don't? It would be so easy. Just to put a page on their website for NGOs, seven easy steps to changing signatories, things mm. like that. Mm. So, we're talking to a very big bank who is looking at reviewing how they communicate things and what they can do to make life easier. So, watch this space because we're working with them now. But the third one is very exciting. Can I identify who's doing this? Yes, absolutely. We got um, uh, contacted by um, the First Credit Union, which is actually based in Hamilton, and it's not a bank, it's a financial institution. And they read the report that we put out, and they said to us, we think we can help. And what they're going to do is they're doing a 12-month trial to see how it goes, doing completely online bespoke banking for NGOs which means if you're the little group in Bluff or a, a, you can still access a bank and get your work done through that bank um, if it's the first credit union and also it um, it means that you can actually access a service that is particularly aimed at sorting out the problems that you're suffering at. Yeah me at the moment. And it's a year trial and CNA has joined up. We're going to have a cheque account and a little investment account. And I believe Community Way has joined up.
0: We've got actually a whole lot of groups now who are really expressing that interest. And I think what we're seeing is that um, those groups really feeling the pinch trying to get back into the air again and deal with these systems. Yeah. And the next round, I'm sure, will be when we have groups who go through their AGMs and then have to re-sign up um, awesome. all of their trustees. So this is a great um, initiative, right? This is yeah. a very practical thing that Community I think... Networks Aotearoa has done to yeah. help um, influence the systems and provide um, some practical solution through partnering with, a, um, with an organisation For great outcomes. so excellent. Yeah,
1: exciting. And and all it takes is for people to know what the issues are, and then they go, well, what can we do to help? That's what's happened here. Yeah. And if we hadn't done the research, we hadn't heard what people were saying, and they've been saying it for a long time. That's right. um, uh, We never would have been able to say, what can you do to help? And they never would have noticed that it's become an issue for us. That's right. And all the banks say to us, frankly... Um, they don't make any money out of us.
0: Mm.
1: Well, they don't make much money out of individual um, bankers either. Individuals That's Individual right. banking. They don't make much money out of that either. And it's no reason that they should not meet their social contract and look after the banking for small organisations. So we're challenging them on all those issues. And, yeah. you know, we are getting some movement. It's fantastic.
0: Oh, look, I, I'm absolutely thrilled with how that's progressing And this is a watch this space We'll just keep you yep. updated with yeah, how will. this progresses um, We probably should keep moving through Because you've got lots more going on um, <laughs> I, I did want to touch on where we're at with Tech for Governance um, and, and people potentially signing up for that
1: Yep, so Tick for Governance is our online training for governance And even if you think you don't need it I'd like to suggest you do it First of all, it's very cheap. It's 10 modules and it's $100. And the thing that we're going to start pushing soon is the fact that if your whole board all do the Tick for Governance, then you apply to us and we'll make you into an official Tick for Governance board. You have to meet a few conditions, but if you become a Tick for Governance board, you'll get a special badge that you can put on your websites and you can put it on your um, emails that tells people your entire board have done the course. Now, at the end of doing the course, which is fun, it's a fun, easy course, it's um, it's aimed at being a friendly course with a bit of humour, but when you've finished the course, you get a micro-credential and we put the whole course through NZQA. Not only that, the Institute of Directors, who everybody holds up as the highest standard in governance training, has approved our course. They've said it's fantastic. Also, Charity Services have approved the course, and MSD has approved the course.
0: Well, MSD even gave some funding for it, like that was a real they, endorsement.
1: They gave us quite a lot of funding to get that done and then to continue getting it out to people. That's
0: right, yeah.
1: So what happens now is if you and your whole board have done the course and you become a tax governance board, when you make applications to funders, the first thing they'll see is your badge. Mm. And when they see your badge, they will have more confidence in you being able to know how to do good governance and how to handle your money than someone else who's applied who does not have the badge. So don't forget if your whole board does it, you make application to us. We do have to check that your whole board has done it. But um, if you make application to us, you can become a tick for governance board. But in the meantime, anyone who does the course is going to get value out of it. And I'd just like to say at this point, and this is very important right now, the first module is free to mm. anyone who wants to do it. And the first module is te tiriti O Waitangi and Working with Māori. Now, if you don't understand what Māori want or what Māori think or how the treaty is being, or te is being um, examined, this is the module for you. It explains it all and hopefully in a way that is non-threatening but explains to you stuff that you might not currently understand. And I think right now understanding is the biggest way through some of the issues that our country is involved with.
0: Yeah, I think that makes is a very, very good point. Very good point. Um I think yeah, that's something that that is going to be ongoing, uh, yep. but would really encourage people. I've done it myself. Really mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed it, and like you say, there's humour in it. It's yeah, there it, is. It's accessible. It's a bit of fun, you know. Um, but but more, most importantly, um, you get some really good insights into what it is to be a governor, um, how it is to effectively manage an organisation. So
1: yeah, be on a board. Yeah. And, and and um just so you know, if legislation changes, we go in, it's a living document, we go in and change the information to ensure that you get updated information.
0: That is um yeah, that's also critical because we know we've seen recently some um ongoing significant changes to the yeah. um to the act, right? Well the acts mm. a couple of them. The that multiple
1: acts that's really. Right. Yeah. Just this last year we were doing the Incorporated Society, the Charities Act The Health and Safety Act, the Emergency Management Act, and hmm, something else too, that there were a a bunch of
0: them. That's actually really um, brings me to um, the Incorporated Societies Act, so that Mm. has recently been changed. Um, It it means that under this new Act, every incorporated society will need to reincorporate um, by... Oh, it's April 2026, yes. and um, Roz, you know, our Community Networks Aotearoa have been undergoing that process um, <laughs> recently.
1: Do you want to share a little bit of the insights on that? Well, I will say, and this is a warning to everybody, that it's not easy. Yes. You have to whip out your constitution, and you have to take a look at it, and you have to say, what new clauses do we need in here due to the change in legislation? And how do we get them changed? And often you'll have to have a special general meeting, and um, that involves, you know, letting everybody know and getting all the changes out there. There have been quite a lot of changes.
0: There have been, yeah.
1: Now, if it's all too hard, you know what you can do? You can chuck your old constitution in the rubbish bin and start afresh doing the constitution builder at the company's office.
0: Mm. So that's a, that's a handy piece of advice. Um, mm. would, you, would you suggest that each organisation do that?
1: No. <laughs> okay. So tell me why. Just if it's really hard. Yeah. Um, I think the important thing is no matter what you do, that you've got to hold true to the reason why your organisation exists and the things that you want to do in your organisation. Yeah. And that sort of thing doesn't come up in the Constitution Builder. But it helps you with all the specific clauses you must have. And, yeah. um I think that it's a helpful thing to do at this point in time to recheck your constitution and check that it's relevant to where your organisation has gotten in the last few years. Are you still there for the same reason? Yeah. Are you meeting the your requirements of your um, reason for being? And um, have you drifted? Have you had a mission drift where you've drifted off what the original purpose of your organisation was? That sort of check. Isn't a bad
0: idea. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes 100%. Um, yeah, com- that, yeah, absolute sense. W- mm. One thing I think has been interesting is we've gone through the process, um, yep. is how long it actually takes. Because I suppose my concern is people um, going about six months out, oh, we better put together that constitution and get it sorted. Yeah.
1: But actually, it's, it's not that easy, eh? No, well, you have to, you have to get everybody in agreement for a start and um you know you have to you can't just do it on your own you have to do it through your board and um your board has to involve everybody in it and there are a lot of like we even found uh i think i might be right in this um holly but i think we found some of the things that held us up were just um, typos and spelling yes. errors. Yeah, silly things, eh? And we thought we had it all right. We sent it out for everyone's approval and came back with a whole bunch of new things yeah. that we had to change and then send it out again. And then there's the question of how long it takes your board members to respond. Mm-hmm. So they get something in their email that they need to look at, which is changes to Clause 17B. You know? yeah. Yeah. And there are some board members who just really don't respond.
0: Yeah. I think we've all and if you've done the if you've done the tick for governance, you know, you get (laughs) I think you get a bit of insight into that as well.
1: Yes you do, yes you do. So when you've got non responsive board members, what should have taken two days can take three weeks or a month.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just to approve a couple of clauses, let alone your entire constitution.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So no, get
1: onto it, folk. Get onto it. You have to do it. And if you don't re-register, you will be removed from the incorporated Society's register. Yeah,
0: yeah. So that's I think very, very important to understand and know. Um, so, so that's the that's the reincorporation stuff. Um, mm. We don't have a lot of time left. We've got about about seven minutes, and I really wanted to touch on the State of the Sector Survey. Okay. Um, just because I'm really hoping we might have some of our listeners, um, you know, want to get involved in... Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: So, once every two years, for about the last ten years, there's a survey gone out, um, and it was um, put out by an organisation here in Wellington called Convoices, and we were part of Convoices. And the survey is to find out a snapshot of what's happening in the community and voluntary sector at that particular point of time. And it's an important survey because it's longitudinal. So um, the um, information that we get should point out trends of what's happening in the sector as well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of MPs and philanthropy and people like that uh, very keen to take a look at this survey when it's, when it's produced. So this year, um, Convoices have asked CNA if we'll take on board putting out the survey, and we've said sure. So from now on, that survey won't come out from Convoices, though we acknowledge its genesis there, but it will come out from Community Networks Aotearoa. And we're begging you, please, if the survey comes your way, Can you please fill the survey out? It's so important that we get decent research about what's happening. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for the survey, how do we know what's actually really happening to people's funding? If it isn't for the survey, where do we get the evidence about how many people you're actually serving from your community? Because if we don't have evidence like that, how can we make a case? for community f- getting more funding, how can we make a case for the importance of the community, all that stuff. Mm. And this survey is absolutely essential because if we don't get the evidence, trust me, we won't be listened to.
0: And, you know, new government often means changes for the sector as well, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense, but this, it, it is a wonderful way... Uh, to get a a really detailed snapshot of what's happening right around the country. Um, How do organisations access the information once it's been done, once once that research? we'll do a
1: report Yeah, and uh, we will publicise that report as many places as we can. So we're sending the survey, I'm just looking at our map on the wall here, the survey starts going out um, I think in March. And it'll be out there for a couple of months, and then we take a couple of months or maybe three months to actually collate all the information and write the report. And then we will um, hopefully um, provide the report out in August or September, Mm. and then we'll do a whole session on the report at
0: our conference in, t- in October. So, I mean, that, that is really exciting in itself. Um, mm. I would like to put a bit of a challenge out to the Waikato um, non-profit organisations. I think that we want to really over-represent the Waikato region, have, have great oh, yeah. data from our community, a bit of a competition perhaps around the, around That's the country. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could provide a prize. Yeah. Not, mm, not let me think on idea. that one. It always helps.
1: It does, it does. Look, um,
0: <laughs> but it is really critical uh, yeah. and, and really yeah. appreciate that Community Networks, how I is going to pick that up. Oh, um, yes,
1: we're happy to do so. And we'll be doing it, oh, for the first time, we'll actually be doing um, a collated research on the longitudinal information. Oh, great. To show what the trends are that's not actually been done properly previously. So, we've decided this year we're going to look at the longitudinal trends that we've got from the previous surveys as well.
0: Exactly. So, well, that's fantastic. Mm. Um, so, people are going to watch the space. Can you give us the date again of when it all starts? I think it'll come out um,
1: late March or. Early April, but Great. I think late March
0: probably. Yeah, so watch this space basically yes. and, and certainly watch for um, Community Wākato, uh, our weekly bulletin. Um, you'll see the details coming out there and we'll be encouraging people to yeah. get onto that and get and it done. And here's
1: another thing. If you get the survey and you know, that know of other NGOs who haven't got it, can you forward yeah. it to them,
0: please? Yeah, so this is really... Can you tell us the criteria of who can fill this in?
1: You just have to be a non-profit organisation, a not-for-profit.
0: Yeah, so any kind of non-profit?
1: I think so. I don't think we say only um, legal entities. I think it's any kind of non-profit.
0: Fantastic. I think that is absolutely wonderful. We don't have a lot of time. You did mention conference, so um, (gasps) are you likely to have a conference at the end of this year? Yes, we're going to have a conference
1: probably in October, the 17th and 18th. So please put in your um, budget, some money to come to our conference in Wellington um, on the 17th and 18th of October. It's going to be fantastic. We're doing a joint conference with the 2020 Trust. So it's going to be a really interesting, fantastic conference and we're starting to cook on it already. Um, It's going to be, it's about, it's a two-day conference with a nice dinner and some entertainment in the night between and um, it's a great chance to come to Wellington. And if you want to stay over the weekend, you know, um, you can just add on some time to your, um, where you're staying and just hang out in Wellington for a weekend as well. But we have an aim it's to do with everybody working together in a, in a positive way for good change.
0: Oh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, we want to see more of those collaborations and partnerships, and, and I think yeah. a joint conference is a wonderful example of that in action, isn't it?
1: Well, I can tell you that the um, byline is from many rivers, great rivers for many streams, great rivers flow.
0: That sounds perfect. We've run out of time at our end, Roz. Thank you so no. much for joining me. I know <laughs> we'll do this again though, sometime soon, eh? Okay. Lovely to talk to you, Holly, and hello to everybody listening. Thank you very much, and you've been okay. listening to Connect with Community Workers on 3AM, 89.